Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you want to get your Bibles open up to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, I talked a, a couple weeks ago about 1 Peter chapter 1, um, our Peter, 1 Peter actually addressing more of a physical persecution of the church, and then 2 Peter addressing more of a, uh, a spiritual persecution or a false prophet's persecution of the church. The false prophets, the, the Jews, the, all kinds of individuals coming in trying to disrupt the church in 2 Peter. 1 Peter's where we're at, though, and 1 Peter's when a lot of, uh, of Christians were actually being persecuted to the point of death. Uh, so some of them actually had some pretty big problems, but even though all of them didn't face the problems that uh, that that brought about death, they faced a lot of problems that brought about difficulties and, and troubles. I mean, what happens? You know, the book of Revelation is very clear about one thing. Now, we can argue about who these people are if you want to sometime. Just give me a holler and we'll argue about it. Um, but when it comes down to it, I'm not sure if I want to argue about that or not. When it comes down to it, the struggles that we as a church face are not any different to the points that I'm making. So even though they faced trouble that would have been a physical persecution kind of trouble, uh, many of us face a lot of those pressures and influences here. I mean, how many of you have ever been in Facebook jail? Ever been in Facebook jail? You ever got a warning from Facebook or Twitter? I've been in both jail and warned. And uh, I mean, the truth is, and, and, and for me, it wasn't me being mean and calling people names. I mean, if you put a Christian, if you put a Christian viewpoint forward and, and somebody can, can label that as hate speech, whatever you say, I mean, you can say everybody's a sinner and they would, they would throw you in Facebook jail because how dare you say everybody's a sinner? That's, that's just, right? I don't understand. But the persecution's persecution. You look at the, the economy, and a lot of people freak out because of Wall Street. Look what Wall Street's done. Look what the World Bank's done. Look what all of these individuals have done. What are you going to do if the day comes that you can't make your house payment because you refuse to take the chip? What are you going to do when you can't make your electric payment or your water payment because you refuse to take the chip? You say, well, it's a chip. Well, I can't say for sure that it's a chip, but I can tell you that I saw a clip yesterday, and there's actually a company already tested it in the U.S. You know where it goes? Right between the thumb and finger. Where'd the Bible say that the mark of the beast would be? On the hand of the forehead. Watch this name, Mondex, owned by MasterCard. Videos 10, 15 years old, and everybody was saying, it's not true, it's not true, it's true. Mondex, money on the right hand. Mondex, money, Dexter, right. They spent two and a half million dollars in research to find out where that chip can be planted that it won't float around the body. And there were only two places on the entire body that you could put it where it wouldn't float in the tissue. And that was where you were skin to bone. Back of the hand or the forehead. 
It's a coincidence? Maybe. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you guys it's the end of the world, but I'm asking you this question. If you no longer could make your house payment, would that create a hardship for you? If you could no, no longer go to the grocery store and buy the food you like, the way that it's prepared, would that create a hardship for you? If you couldn't pay an electric bill, if you couldn't pump gas in your car, if you couldn't pay for insurance, would that be a hassle? How much does it change your life if you take all of those difficulties and you put them together on one person at the same time? Question. I can't stand up here and say that you're going to live through it. I can't stand up here and say that I'm going to live through it, but I can stand up here and say this. Somebody's going to live through it. Because this viewpoint of, oh no, we're going to be gone before they give the mark of the beast, well then why are they giving it? If the entire church is gone, why do you need a mark? Everybody's on the same page, right? Why does the Bible say specifically that there will be a mark put on the hand of the forehead and that you will not be able to buy, sell, or trade without that mark? Are you ready for it? How long before somebody has to make that phone payment or has to make that internet payment because they can't stare blindly at their phone? How long before an individual that doesn't get the cut of meat that they've, that they've grown up on and are used to, how long are people going to be able to go before they say, no way, too much, hand it over? Because the truth is, it's going to happen. That will be the point in time where everybody on the planet is going to come to the realization that this is more than picking a building to go to on Sunday, sitting in a pew and listening to a preacher talk. It's going to dawn on people. This is literally no different. And Peter, the way he addresses, the way he addresses these individuals who are part of the church, he's pretty straightforward with his points. And the straightforward points, and it doesn't remove compassion for people. You can tell by the way he starts this off, the way that he even introduces the message in the first place. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Holy cow, that is the longest description I've ever heard of people. He tightened that requirement down pretty tight, didn't he? people get thrown off by that word foreknowledge of course we know god has foreknowledge he's omniscient he knows everything people say well i'll change my mind i'll trick him he knew you were going to do that there's no tricking him he knows everything and it says when it says chosen don't get thrown off with that either to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout pontius galatia cappadocia asia and bithynia who are chosen what does it say just say who are chosen by god 
a chosen accord, who, those who are chosen according to the foreknowledge. In other words, when God laid this whole plan out, he knew who was going to trust in him. He knew that people would. And he also knew that people wouldn't. He knew that people would make choices to either side with their creator or deny their creator. He knew that this was going to be the result. So he's calling these people out by saying, for those of you who have scattered, those who have been chosen by the foreknowledge of God, in other words, the Bible tells us that God planned before the foundations of the earth to send forth his son, amen? You think he didn't know what the result of that was going to be? He knew if it was going to be worth it. And do you think that he would have done it if it wasn't going to be worth it? To those who were genuinely chosen by the foreknowledge of God, this letter is written to those who God foreknew and foresaw would come to him through the death, burial, and resurrection. And this gets even much, much more amazing. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that the proof of your faith I'll say this a hundred million times because it's a fact and people need to hear it and I need you to hear it and put it together. It is easy to be a Christian when things are going good. It is simple to be a Christian when you're not facing any trouble. The hardest time to be a Christian is when you're in the rut. The hardest time to be a Christian when you're being pressed on when you're being pushed around by the culture because what did he say the trial was by even though tested by fire what's fire Peter actually used another phrase don't be surprised the fiery ordeal among you that is happening to you for your testing what's fire Fire is what burns away the garbage in every case. It burns away the garbage. What the devil intends to use it for is to weight us down to the point that we can't move. What the devil has not learned is that anything that's thrown at us, as long as an individual has the capability of realizing who they are in Christ, do you think that God's going to let me go down without a fight? Did he foresee me before the foundations of the earth? If I'm a believer and he foreseen me before the foundations of the earth and he says, hey, no matter what happens, this is going to be worth it. Then what kind of ride should we be taking? 
Because we always have to come back full circle. It doesn't mean we don't have problems. It doesn't mean that our problems aren't real. What it's saying is that when we find ourselves in the midst of those fiery trials, that's where it, it becomes valuable. That's where it becomes more than words on a page. When a person who has no reason in the world to hope, hopes, that's something that can't be taught. When a person who is completely exhausted realizes that only then do they find strength. And the reason being, we don't bring the power to the table. We don't bring the righteousness to the table. We don't bring the excitement to the table. We just bring what God asked to for the table. Just our heart. Just our heart. Bring it to the table. Even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know how many people that I imagine in my head, the number of people that I've preached to in my life who, who honestly walked away from the sermon or from the conversation thinking I was crazy? And honestly, you get treated crazy. You get isolated. Happens all the time. You get isolated, you get attacked. You get attacked. And how many times have I stood up here and said, I get attacked, watch out. Why? Because if they can't get me, the thought actually crossed my mind the other day. Why don't I just let him take me? He'll leave everybody else alone then. No, he wouldn't, because he's insatiable. But I know what Paul meant when he talked about he'd give up his own salvation for the salvation of his friends. What does this all mean? I mean, if we quit, what does it mean? Now, I'm, I'm going to say this, and this isn't about anybody's past. This is about issues that are going on in the current world today. If two Christian people can't stand before a preacher and make a vow and a commitment before God with absolutely no chance whatsoever of that relationship separating, what's happened? If a Christian walks out of a gas station and was given an extra $5 bill, why are Christians not just walking it back in and saying, hey, somebody dropped a $5 bill? Where is integrity? Integrity is supposed to be the result of real faith. Our reputation, that reputation is built on long-standing examples of action. It's not based on what somebody says. You can tell me you are whatever you want to tell me, but let me watch you for a while, and then I'll tell you what you really are. Because it's a fact. That's just the way that this goes. What is the value of Christianity if it is too weak to prop us little human beings up from our little human being problems? Do you know when you're being selfish? 
talking to a human being here don't lie to me I mean a lot of times we don't catch it right we don't catch it right away all the time but but let's be honest how many of us in here honestly know that we're selfish if there was anything in your life right now or anything in your spouse's life or anything in anybody else's life that you wish that you could just take control of because you could do it better raise your hand We are all depraved. Every one of us. Do you know why we see people out there doing things that Christians do? Because do you think that every Christian... There's a song I listen to quite a bit. This thing's in my head all the time. Um... You ever meet the people that when the song ends, they keep singing? What tune are they living life to? I know what it is. They're isolated from all the problems that we experience, right? You ever met the people who hoped even when all hope was gone? Where's that come from? What about that strength that you find when you are at the end? You know that scripture verse that says, his strength is perfect when my strength's gone. All of us have one thing in common, folks. And I mean this. I've said it over and over for months. Satan is doing everything that he can to take every one of us out of the game. It's not any one person. He's doing his best to take anybody out of the game. And he doesn't even have to make you do a big sin in order to do it. You can make a choice that's not a sin that the Lord's going to let you make. But the truth is, being manipulated by Satan is not the route to go. People sit in pews all the time and hold on to the back of it because they don't want to walk and stand in front of a bunch of people and say, hey, I trust in Jesus. But what's that person going to expect on the day they take their last breath and they're standing before the Father with Jesus? They can expect him to stand for them then? We're, we, are, we are, I cannot believe. Everything God does for us, and we still will not give him any credit. You say, oh, I give God credit all the time. Do you? Do we? As Christians, do we give God the credit he deserves? Because you know what credit he deserves? He deserves the credit that makes me right, make the choice that's according to his will. That's the credibility that he deserves. Because the truth is, all of the difficulties that they faced, and every one of them that we face, every one of them, when we come out the other side, sure, maybe dented and dinged, scratch here and there, but when we come out the other side, the result will be found in praise and honor of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, to run on sentence, and though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as an outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. See, it almost makes it sound like I'm obtaining as an outcome of my faith the salvation of my soul through my ability to be able to stand up. 
No, you're not saved through your ability to do anything. You don't even have the ability to stand up if you don't do it in his. In his strength, in his ability, you don't have the ability to stand up. In this particular passage of scripture, when the apostle Paul talks about, or Peter talks about, and though you have not seen him, you love him. Think about this. How deep does your love for Jesus run? Ever met him? Physically? You ever physically touched his hand? Have you ever physically laid your eyes upon a physical being? But is he real to you? You've never seen him. Just how real is he? Our lives are evidence of that. In other words, let me put it to you this way. If you're someone who thinks about God the way that we should, praying without ceasing, right? That means that throughout your week, Monday through Sunday, everywhere that you go, if Jesus showed up, or here, let's make it more fun. God just actually put this in my head, and I'm willing to do this, okay? Can I come hang out with you for a week? Don't change your schedule. I want to go where you go. I want to eat what you eat. I want to drink what you drink. I want to do what you do. How many people are willing to take me? I think it'd be some. Would you? <laughs> it comes down to it, folks. This is, a, this is the fact of life. Our ability to take a hit is 100% determined by our ability to realize that Jesus Christ took every hit for us. That everything in this world, no matter what happens, if it's not as a result, a direct result of something that you have caused or something that you did directly, bad things are going to happen to you. Bad things happen to good people all the time. And good things happen to bad people. I mean, we live in kind of a wacky Wednesday kind of world. I got another one for that type of a Sunday, but I won't say it because there's kids in here. Because we don't do with church what we, what we should be doing with church. I mean, I, as, as individuals, how many of you guys walked up, woke up this morning and said, I can't wait to go to church? I'm going to open, I'm going to expose my heart. And I hope that God stabs it with that double-edged sword. Anybody? Wake up in the morning and go, man, I cannot wait. I hope God wears me out. I hope that I am dragging my tracks back to my car. I'm dragging my tracks out. You ever say that? Because that's what people who get it say. That's the life that people who get it live. The ones who say when you sink 10 feet below water, you don't just stop fighting. You fight for the top. You fight for the surface. You fight for air. Everybody who is separated from God, where do they have to go? But where do we have to go? I mean, just the promise, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Have you ever run the death of that promise, I'll never leave you or forsake you? That's a huge promise. And honestly, 
I will never leave you, is one that would dictate to us our actions. If we realize that those places I talked about a while ago that many, many people go through the week, Jesus would not go with you. Not because there's sinners in there, but because he doesn't want to be associated with someone who goes in there and actually partakes in the lifestyles of individuals in the places they go during a week. So I asked you a while ago, would you take me? The bigger question is, would you take Jesus? If you would, you're doing okay. If you're saying, yes, Jesus could move into the bedroom in my house, and he's welcome to stay as long as he wants, and he can be involved in every decision in my house, he gets the remote control, or I get the remote control, and he gets to watch what I want to, right? Just how in control is Jesus? Just how much is Jesus in control? Because this is what I think that people have grown to understand. I think that people have grown to understand that this Christian life is 100% Jesus' responsibility. The salvation part was 100% Jesus' responsibility. But in every aspect of the church that I can find, it says things like, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Seek, and you shall find. He doesn't say just wander aimlessly through life, and I'll hit you occasionally with the proverbial banana cream pie God's word through, as, as you walk through it. And that's what a lot of people get, and a lot of people are okay with that. It's okay, God, just throw me a crumb once in a while. I'll swoop down and grab it. But then it comes time for us to face the difficulties that Satan has in store for us. And the question is, are we capable of standing? Because we're still trying to sort out who is standing. We love him, even though we don't see him. We know that he's real. If he wasn't real, we wouldn't have any love for him. He's affirmed who he is to us. The question is, who are we to him? This blows my mind. Verse 10, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. He, he's saying the prophets thousands of years ago, they dumped all kinds of time and resources into trying to take those prophecies of the coming Messiah and figure out at what time that coming Messiah was going to show up. And then he says, but you know what was revealed to them? That they were not looking for information that was going to serve them. They were looking for information that was going to serve them. They weren't looking for information that was going to serve the prophets. They realized that they were looking for information that was going to serve the New Testament church. 
How many of you guys have ever said, now I'm going to, uh, this is for instance, okay? I'm not going to say you're going to do this. Who knows? Maybe we can. I'm holding out hope. Now we all agree that the first person that we want to see when we get to heaven is Jesus. Amen? Amen? And, 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 and hopefully like we see Jesus, we see the Father and Spirit too because we definitely don't want to pick a favorite out of those three. Those three are equals and we keep it that way. So we'll say God. We'll keep it that way. But if you take God off the table and you say, okay, I've seen God. I've got my high fives from him. Ready to live out the eternity. Who's the first Old Testament prophet you go see? Daniel's a big one. It's a good one. Daniel's a bit, he's a good, mine was Elijah. I'd love to go talk to Elijah. But do you realize what that verse is saying? It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. Now that statement, but you, when he was writing that letter, he was writing that letter to very specific people who are scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia. But I want you to read that verse again, and I want you to read permission this time, out of context, because it's still in context. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. It wasn't just the people 2,000 years ago it was serving. It's also serving you. It's serving us. It's serving me. So here's the idea. What happens to the purpose and the plan if the prophets, most of whom were murdered, killed, those prophets, what were they killed for? Not just truth. You're right, truth. But they were killed for getting the truth to you and me. Because what happens if anywhere along the line that link broke? What happens if the pressure gets so bad that individuals anywhere along the line during this entire process says it ain't worth it, can't take the pressure, can't take the complications, I'm out. What happens? You know what you are? You. You're the exact same link in the chain as the people were 2,000 years ago. Do you think that you could take a person who is a Christian out of the picture, a person who is an active Christian out of the picture without it having an impact? You break that link anywhere along the line, I break that link, we break a link anywhere along the line, it will cost people their eternity. It will also cost some people their sanity. It'll cost them passions, it'll cost them their gifts, it'll cost them everything. And if you are capable on any level of imagining with all of the difficulties and pressures you faced in your life, what those would have been like without Jesus being in it? If we thought about how much it might change, then we might be able to catch a glimpse into what somebody's life who's apart from Jesus is living. I'm even going to go so far as to say this. It wouldn't surprise me if when Jesus says, great is your reward, one of those was Elijah came and seen me. I'm not saying that for pride reasons. Hear me out. You think what Elijah did was big? You bet it was. Why do you think I admire the man so much? Daniel's the same way. 
But do you know what Daniel and Elijah would say? You got to live 2,000 years into the new church age? So Jesus came and did what we told you thousands of years ago was going to happen, and now you're 2,000 years after that event, and you get to be involved on a relational level with God? Who do you think's admiring who more? God gave them a message. They took it where it was supposed to be, be given, and they gave it. If you're sitting in this church, a blood-bought saint of Jesus Christ, you are literally the fulfillment of what every one of them Old Testament prophets was talking about. Are you beginning to get the size of this? The last phrase. Things into which angels long to look. Well, that's kind of weird. You mean to tell me that God created you so uniquely that he can have a relationship with you that's unlike the relationship that he has with the angels? I mean, how many of us as humans honestly wouldn't be going, be pretty cool to be an angel? This is saying the angels are up there going, be pretty cool to be a human being. Just like we're going, I can't wait to meet Elijah. Elijah would be up there going, man, I can't wait to meet that Keith guy. Because the truth is, you can even spread us out over 4,000 years. And the one thing that has always been the same will continue to stay the same. God called us to rely on each other. And your spiritual health is very important when it comes to the role that we play as individuals dealing with people who genuinely are hurting who need to be encouraged who need to be told how important they are don't ever let yourself get in a place where you demand it because I'll remind you you do the things you do to be seen by men you will receive your praise from men and you will have received your blessing in full. So you want to do what you do for Jesus and you want your praise for men, that's fine. You can have that. But I want you to know that when you do that, you're sacrificing your blessing from God. So we don't do that. We do what we do because we trust Jesus. We do what we do because in trusting Jesus, we know ultimately everything's going to turn out the way that he ultimately allows it to turn out. He is in control. I have responsibility in that. And my responsibility is to know that God has a place for me and that Satan wants to knock me off of it. I asked somebody this last week. If God takes me out of the game, how many people does it impact? Just the church? Bates Creek Camp? My family? Just how far can a person go before the effect is catastrophic? You're important to this church. 
No. That as times move forward and the church continues to hold its ground when it comes to the truth of God's word, there's trouble coming. Grow in your faith. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.